Hello and welcome to another episode of Feed Your Brain with Max and Mike. This time we have another guest, one of my absolute favorite people in the startup scene. He is based in LA. He has done a couple of great things, but I think he can tell you more about them uh, himself. Jay, welcome. How are you? I'm, I'm good. It's fantastic to be here. Nice. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your background? You have a very special background, I would say, that I think not many other people have. So tell us a little bit of what you did, how you ended up in the startup world, and then also what you're doing now. Yeah. Okay. Ready Ready for the, the story. It begins now. So way back when, once upon a time, I went to film school in Boston and I thought I was going to be a screenwriter and write whatever the next Star Wars was going to be. And instead, I graduated into the middle of the online poker boom of the 2000s and became a high stakes online poker pro. I played and competed at the biggest stakes in the world. Uh, I was a top no limit hold'em player. I created a lot of media around all these fascinating characters who were part of this community that developed when the internet massively transformed the game of poker. So I made short documentary films. We met, eventually made a feature length documentary. Uh, I created the most popular animated comedy about poker where I think it's claim to fame was these animated characters were earning more sponsorship dollars than the human players on ESPN. And uh, I co-created and starred on a reality show on G4 TV called Two Months, Two Million with a couple of my friends. And the way I got into startups, my first startup was a world leader in poker training in the early days of, of EdTech. And we got up to, at our peak, like a few million ARR. And then you know, in 2011, the US government shut down online poker. It was a like, cataclysmic event. For me, incredibly impactful on my like life and identity and who I was and uh, my entire social scene, but also my life as an entrepreneur, because I experienced this concept of a black swan event where something could happen that was totally outside of your area of control in your business that would have this seismic effect on your customers and your product and the mar- even the market you served almost overnight. And, um, you know, so my, my friends, I think a few things happened around this. My friends left the country to keep playing poker. My co-founders, we all, our spirits and passion for teaching poker were totally crushed. It's like one day you can, um, you know, you're like able to do, you're, you're able to, to build startups in the U S is sort of the metaphor. And then the next day startups are outlawed. It's like you, you can't do the thing you love anymore. So it, it killed a lot of passion. At the same time, my younger brother, who you know, Mike, he graduated film school and we always wanted to work together on that, you know, idea of whatever the next Star Wars is going to be. And so instead of continuing down the path of a professional gambler, I decided to gamble on the path of uh, epic storyteller and moved to Austin, Texas and started figuring out what are the opportunities in developing original IP. Long story short, uh, we fell into sort of an obsession with virtual reality technology in the early days of 
VR pre-consumer launch, like just development kits. And we ended up on this crazy adventure where we uh, sort of had this vision of the future where, you know, VR experiences would be interactive and in order to create narrative experiences based on relationships with compelling characters, we needed to learn how to build things in game engines. And so we ended up on this crazy journey to build a game studio in Montreal and ended up shipping one of the first VR adventure games in history. It's called Chiaro and the Elixir of Life. It was an incredible adventure to figure out how to build a VR game in Unreal Engine at a point when, you know, when we first started, Fortnite didn't exist. And The Lion King, I think, was in pre-production. And then by the end of the time in which we shipped, there were hand controllers. There were three different major VR headsets on the market. Fortnite was the biggest game in the world. The Mandalorian was in production using Unreal Engine. Like we experienced, we had a front row seat to kind of the building out of Epic Games' vision for what would eventually become the metaverse. And uh, we shipped our game. We got some funding from Canada to make a second game. It was like a magic sword fighting game. But Scott and I, we thought, this was 2018, we thought we were maybe 10 years too early to VR. Like game engines were cool, but VR itself, not ready yet for mass market. But what was here was esports and game engines. And so the way we met was that we came up with this crazy idea to use game engines to build the next version of the WWE for esports. And we we're going to do this by creating brand new virtual characters with fictional storylines who play video games in front of gigantic live audiences on Twitch. And we pitched that to Y Combinator, the first investors, and they were like, you brothers are crazy, but uh, we we love that idea and we want you to build it here. And so summer 2019, we moved to Silicon Valley. We met incredible people like Mike, who are part of that accelerator batch. I leveled up, Scott leveled up immensely as an entrepreneur by being plugged into now it's like third startup, I'm in my 30s and just put in the best possible place you could ever be to find mentorship, accelerate your learning and network with other people. So we went through the batch. We worked on that idea for 16 months. We, we built this crazy live animation pipeline where we could combine a hilarious voice actor with a top esports pro in different locations and combine them into one, one performance. And we created this character called Neuralis. There was a robot designed to crush humanity at Super Smash Brothers and stream from a spaceship in Unreal Engine in outer space. And uh, Reebok thought it was cool, so they sponsored our stream. They put their digital sneaker on our robot character. But it was lighting a lot of money on fire. And so we, we just didn't, we didn't have conviction that it was the best business. It was cool. It was an interesting creative experiment. We, we felt like we had worked on it long enough. And we're also getting a little bit burnt out on content. So we killed that. And then uh, the way we got to where we are now, so we thought, okay, like maybe we should work on a problem for a while. Like that seems like a good place to start figuring out a startup pivot. Like what problem do we really care about? And we kept coming back to storytelling and writing in particular. And we thought 
there were two interesting things to us. One was that like writing and storytelling is some of the most underrewarded, like the people who do that for a living are some of the most underrewarded creators in history. They capture a lot of value at the beginning or create a lot of value at the beginning, capture very little at the end. And um, writing is very lonely and frustrating and it's hard to find your people. But under the surface, it has all the mechanics of like a game like poker and esports simple to pick up, lifetime to master. The way you get better at it is by doing it again and again. And so we thought, oh, like what if the future of writing was more like a multiplayer game? What if it looked more like an MMORPG? And so we started thinking about and designing what the metaverse for writers would look like. And we built this first product on top of GatherTown, which is sort of like a Super Nintendo styled virtual world platform, mostly made for uh, virtual events and remote co-working, but we use it to build a writing community and a business around access and a reward system for getting your writing done. We build a lot of these tools for writers. And then along this whole way, we were getting slowly getting crypto pilled. We were like, what's happening with NFTs? Why are they hitting the consumer market in a way that VR never did. What is this technology good for? Like, what is Ethereum good for? What is Web3? And we kept coming back to like this idea of this technology being used as a tool to solve that first problem about rewarding, fixing the reward structure for writers and storytellers. And we couldn't, for the longest time, we just couldn't figure out the right way to blend the two together. And then finally, sort of the aha moment that led to our third pivot, which is where we are now, is we saw Loot Project, which was basically an NFT project, 8,000 randomly generated bags of words, um, like you would find in an adventurer's bag in Dungeons and Dragons. And it was a free mint just white words on black background, like nothing's like very dumb and simple. But in a week it had like a $40 million market cap. And we were like, oh shit, writers could do that. Like if you could just figure out a way to unlock the value and create the market of people who wanna buy and trade these words at their base level, you could actually build a platform that would enable storytellers to capture value at the very beginning and then incentivize them to build on top to actually one day create meaningful stories like My Neighbor Totoro or Full Metal Alchemist or Star Wars. And so our new, what we're working on now, the company, it's called Heroic Story. And we've built a game show called Bonfire that allows players to complete, compete and collaborate to create origin stories for heroes and villains and then mince them as nfts that the players and our community can own and profit from together and share in the upside of the creation of epic meaningful stories set inside this original fantasy world and so um the team is growing really fast and we're really riding the bleeding edge of what's possible when NFTs are more than just JPEGs. They're actually used as a tool to build these communities for storytellers 
to um, that makes writing and the experience of and social connection between like writers, artists, and collectors way more fun than it was and way more creative than it was in Web 2. And that is my heroic story. Okay, there's a lot to unpack. And I, I think we should probably just do it in chronological order so that we don't get lost because there's so <laughs> many interesting tidbits. And we could probably be talking for hours and hours and hours. So I think we should just focus on a couple of the ideas and we'll just get you back on here in a year or so uh, if uh, anything's still missing. But let's start with the, the, the origin of it all, right? So there's two pathways that I see or two parallel paths. One is the online poker, right? That was basically your life. And then the other one, you mentioned it a couple of times, actually, you wanted to write the new Star Wars. And apparently it's not only you who wanted that, but also your little brother. So why do you think, or what started it all? So why do you think this idea of writing the new Star Wars was so implemented in your head? I think our dad just sat us down in front of Star Wars and was just like, <laughs> this is what the world is about. Like the balance between light and darkness and its eternal struggle and Wookiees and lightsabers and wizards. And it's like, this is, this is what the world runs on, your imagination. And this is what is possible. And one person, this came out of one guy's head, George Lucas. So like you boys could do this. Yeah, that's one of the craziest things about stories, right? Almost all of them were conceived of and written by one individual. Like mm -hmm. most of the like stories that everyone knows are literally the creation of this individual, whereas almost everything else that happens in the world was created by groups of people, right? So why do you think there is this stark difference between how good stories are created and how, for example, companies or often other type of content is created? I think it's actually very similar to companies in that, you know, you have one or two people who come up with the original idea and usually, not always, but they, they're there to see it through all the way to the end, even when the, the company grows. And, you know, George Lucas, he's dealing with hundreds of people now and he's making a new hope. Right. And, uh, so he found product market fit with his like fourth or fifth draft of the screenplay and then 20th century Fox came on and suddenly he's running a big operation and figuring out, Oh, how do we, how do we maximize the money? How do we hold on to the, the licensing for the toys, uh, which became obviously a huge part of, of the empire. But I think at first it's somebody who's like, Oh, what if you, kind of took these cool things about movies that nobody's really experienced in the West, like Kurosawa and samurai movies. And then what if you gave a universal story modeled on the hero's journey, which is actually how our game works. Every game ma is creating around this idea of a hero's journey story. What if you combine that with like a space fantasy fairy tale? And like nobody's ever done anything like that before. That would be amazing. People would love that movie. Uh, he was a filmmaker. I could make that movie. And so he just started writing it because he couldn't stop thinking about it. And I think that's the same way with startups. Once you have the idea, you feel like you're meant to build. You've really, at least in my experience, you can't stop thinking about it. 
and you need mm -hmm. to at least try to try to validate it and see if other people believe in it too. How much of a great story or of a great book, a great screenplay is, in your opinion, the actual novel idea and premise and how much is the actual craft of making it work? Similar to the idea versus execution problem or like dilemma that you often have in startups. I and think it's the brand, the execution. Right? Say that again? Yeah, the, the craft. The brand, I, I think it's... The brand the afterwards brand... would... I mean, Harry Potter and they, Harry Potter and others have built on, on a lot of brand afterwards, right, at a certain point in time. So I would even put that into like a third element of these kind of two that Mike mentioned. Yeah, I would. I, I think the brand, like Harry Potter, when you think about the brand, I think, I, I think I'd fold that into the concept of the story because like concept is, you know, there's this universe hidden, magical universe that's hidden. And inside the universe, there's a school and there's four you know, there's four uh, classes of wizards in the school. And it's part of like the fun and games, I think, of the the story itself. But it also easily lends itself to like, you can imagine what Disney World or now like the Wizarding World, the theme park would look like where you could go through and you could be a Slytherin or you could be in Gryffindor. It kind of represents the character's journey through the, the actual novels. I think it's it's all the craft, but the problem is you need to execute on something if depending on your goal if you want to build a multi-billion dollar ip right you need something that can a story that can expand to be that big so you need something universal you need something with uh balance between these themes that everybody loves and you probably are in adventure that genre in some way because it has the biggest most epic canvas to build on and you probably benefit from you know simple story well told more than a extremely dense complicated story because what happens is you start to shrink your audience when you get to that extremely complex story so it's really like in the startup metaphor it's like picking an exploding market is the equivalent of picking epic adventure genre. And then it's all about how you execute on the opportunity and how how much of a twist the, the concept is at this time. Like there have been wizard school stories before Harry Potter, but there hadn't been any that blended urban fantasy with wizard school in a relatable way. They, had, they didn't have any that were really set in London in the modern world that are really relatable to kids and suddenly opened up into this extremely well thought out magical world and star Wars at the time, there were no movies that even looked like it. You couldn't make the new star Wars now just by doing a sci-fi hero's journey story, because mm -hmm. that's something we've all seen before, no matter how well it's executed, you might find an audience, but it won't be, it won't set off a, cultural phenomenon in the way that Star Wars did, which I think is really interesting because around where we're playing in with NFTs and crypto and Web3, because they're actually not ready, despite where they are in the mainstream market's imagination now, they're not yet ready for mass adoption. Um, but they're at the same time, the technology is accelerating faster than I've ever seen anything built in my adult life. And so they likely will be here sooner than you expect. And at that moment, they're going to enable all sorts of different new kinds of experiences. And so I have no doubt that somebody just like Loot Project 
exploded and became this new thing. I have no doubt that somebody who executes on the right concept at the right time is going to create a massive cultural impact. I mean, Bored Ape is one good example mm-hmm. of one of the first things that did that in this new form, PFPs, right? I think in a few years, we'll look back on PFPs and what people thought NFTs were and be like, oh, this was like, to quote John Palmer, who did a good article about uh, on-chain SVG rendering. It's like our understanding of NFTs now is like our understanding of the internet before modern JavaScript. It's like, (laughs) no question. I, I, I want to kind of add to that a bit because I, I feel like it's a quite an, like the more I listen to you, the more I understand the, the variety of different problems in the space of storytelling. It seems like such a, uh, it seems such a, a one dimensional topic, but when I listen to you, it seems to be very, like there are a lot of dimensions to it. And I wonder, because you talked about earlier, how you got inspired by actually solving a problem now and by focusing on that problem in in that whole dimension of problems that I see with kind of bringing several people together to create a storyline to actually identifying the right the right part of the story that mixes different elements that maybe have not been there before like what is what is like the problem that you are super excited about right now that could potentially be solved with the web3 ecosystem that that basically the, the community is building right now I think it's um, it's value capture at the beginning of creation, like the the ability, like if you come in and participate in our game show, and uh, you can actually earn skin in the game, and you can earn more of it the more you contribute to world building in this world, and we brought together a creative team of top writers and artists in the entire world to kind of guide this ship but at the same time we're making this up on the fly partly because that's part of the form that we're now in like with crypto and this technology nobody actually knows where it could go so everyone is inventing based on all of the discoveries that are happening simultaneously across the whole internet at lightspeed and so this idea of creating together at the beginning with a north star and we're all going to figure it out together and we're all going to govern what we're doing together, like that's endlessly creative and offers so many new problems. And I think, um, so there's, there's a lot of challenges around that, around properly incentivizing people to contribute in the right way, properly incentivizing and building community for people who feel like this is their home and they found their people. But at the same time, like you do need that one visionary at the top of the food chain surrounded by a group of people who are at the top of their craft who are all like doing the lion's share of the work. But at the same time, the community at the base feels like they're part of this and feels like they're contributing as well. And if they came up with an idea for like, I don't know, a purple motorcycle that one of the characters rides and then one day it makes it into the movie that everybody is watching on Heroic Story Plus or whatever. The In the credits, you could see the wallet address of the person who came up with the purple motorcycle at the game show, and they would get airdropped tokens, some rev share, 
NFTs some way of being compensated for their contribution that was all recorded on chain and kind of just, there was no negotiation during the movie production around like that person who came up with the idea like three years ago, it's like, no, it's all on chain and recorded and just pass back to that wallet in perpetuity. So I think like that figuring out how do you go from game show one hour hero's journey story to now we're watching a movie that millions and millions of people around the world love. How do you get there is, and, and make, make sure everyone feels like this is a, a really awesome 10 X better way of doing things than we currently do. That's, that's kind of what our focus is. And so we're constantly trying to point the ship long-term in that direction, but in like, the team sprints, it's more like we're trying to answer questions. Like right now the team is working on first NFT, mostly to try to answer the question as a user, what would make me happy to pay X to own this NFT? Like what utility does it give me? So I feel super pumped that I just got that. Interesting. And Maybe while we are on the topic, can you elaborate a little bit on how the actual game show concept works? Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked. Bonfire is a fast-paced storytelling game played over the course of seven rounds. <laughs> Players compete to win points for the best idea based on prompts corresponding to a beat of the hero's journey. So we might start the game with a, a character name. Let's say we were creating... You know, the goal is to create a superhero and the superhero's name is Peter Parker. We don't know anything about Peter Parker. Though. This is the first time anyone's put those two words together. We're going to tell Peter Parker's heroic story in a game of bonfire. First round might be the ordinary world. We all, if we're all playing, we have 90 seconds to respond to a clue, kind of like Mad Libs. Might be three words. It might be an acronym. We all have to come up with an idea for Peter Parker's ordinary world. So I might be like parents basement and you might be video arcade and you might be uh, pizza place or something like that. After the submissions, there's a voting round. We all vote and the audience votes on who their favorite response is. That winner wins points. And if you vote for the winning response because you can't vote for your own, you win points too. Uh, later in the game, there's almost like daily double rounds where you can bet your points to try to leap ahead. Um, important thing is that winning vote getter gets locked in as like, okay, Peter Parker, Ordinary World is a pizza place. The show hosts are now talking with the audience and trying to figure out well, what makes a pizza place interesting. What is important about the setting of a hero's journey story? Round two, the dream inside. What is a guy who works at a pizza shop dreaming of? that would send him off on an adventure inside this world that we've been creating week to week. And so at the end of the game, we have these seven winning responses. We have a leaderboard of point scorers and we train GPT-3 to take these responses and sum them up into an exciting sounding story that we all created together. That story gets combined with some really awesome art that was inspired by the story. 
and forged into an NFT that looks really awesome and is super collectible and um, people can buy and own and that money that they put into buying it flows back into our creative com creator community who would become then incentivized to take that one hour story of now Spider-Man got bitten by a radioactive spider that was into pepperoni or something and turn it into like real meaningful story, meaning short stories, comics, anime show, movie, and so on and so forth. Really depends on where they want it to go and where our top creator room is thinking about taking those stories. Probably one of the probably one of the craziest and 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 coolest use cases I've heard in the Web three world right now, to be honest, because I feel like um, it really combines that community aspect, not just actually buying a an NFT that is part of a larger community that you're part of, like uh, as you see with Board Ape, right? I mean, they do a great job with it, but it seems like everybody can contribute to a larger story that can then be shared externally, and you've been part of that story. And I think the issue with kind of book writing, even though you have four words and all that stuff where people can contribute to a book, it's always limited to the authors, which is like one, two, three people. And that's what Mike mentioned earlier. And I feel like you take a completely different approach to what a story actually means and that it can be contributed by several people, different perspectives, different backgrounds, um, personally, of course, also that you bring into that discussion. And I wonder kind of, where do you see this going? Is that like, do you do you believe it's going to start out with kind of smaller stories, which as which are going to be like the proof of concept that you can then distribute and and build up a story that is going to be bigger and bigger, or do you do you strive to have a more let's say solid story that is longer, that is contributed by several people um, and and many more people, or do you see more like a snippet way of thinking about stories in a sense? Where do you see this in like? five to 10 years. Yeah. So, right. I can talk about right now because I constantly talk to my brother about like, oh, we can't be thinking too far ahead. Like it's, it's, it's almost like pointless to think too far ahead at the speed this space is evolving. So we need to be thinking about like what we can achieve in the near term and that what is the most ambitious possible thing you could do and what is the biggest possible question we can answer, which for us is like, how do you start from a game show and then get to like a TV show or a movie? and do it in a decentralized fashion. And um, some of the things that writing writers have learned over centuries are like not made better by blockchain. So like TV writer's room, writers on Breaking Bad, we're, not, we're not, never going to really innovate on something better than that, putting you know, 10 people in a room to break story together and figure out how to satisfy the audience on an ongoing basis. And so on our end, we're, we're building a room like that of top talent to figure out um, how to build one project using the community's world building contributions. And I can say where we are now is circling around a few, a few people that I can't announce yet, but are really, really big names, top of their field. And we've also spent the past few months working with a novelist to build a world called Fortunata that is basically inspired by sword and sorcery stories that have um, kind of been lost to the sands of time, but uh, were really popular in the 70s and 80s. And as well as like high concept modern anime, like Demon Slayer or Attack on Titan, stories like that. 
and uh, we've built this insanely cool setting for infinite storytelling that we are now looking for our sort of, you know, if we've built Middle Earth, to use an example, we're looking for our Lord of the Rings. We've built, um, you know, the three concentric walls and Attack on Titan. We're looking for what is our Attack on Titan and really planning that out. And so I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about that. It's a, a moving target and a North Star. And the way we're looking at delivering value to the people who come into our community now or both through like investing in education and teaching them what crypto is actually good for if you are a creator, but also like creating fans of Heroic Story who come in and they experience this game show, which is already really fun and they have a hand in creating it. it could be a light hand. Maybe they watch it, but then that experience evolves for them. Like, you know, without sharing too much and say, hate, like, I feel like we have like six different design documents of lots of different ideas where I'm like, this one is the next one. And then this one is the next one. In my mind, we won't just run bonfire forever. Like, if you're part of Bonfire, your experience as a fan will evolve where you'll be part of other evolving things that change your understanding of what NFTs could be used for and keep increasing your knowledge. So at the end of the day, you if you started off as a fan of Bonfire and you're a creator in this space or a collector, you've just learned so much about what these tools can do. Um, it's almost like you've entered the matrix and now you're you're living in Zion. <laughs> I I would love to go a bit deeper into your journey of getting crypto pilled, as you mentioned earlier. Because my understanding of yours and Scott's skill set is that you are like both extremely smart, very creative, hardworking people, but you're not the most technical people that were running around in our YC batch, right? So how do you bridge the gap between this like rapidly evolving, actually fairly complex technology and then you building a company in it? So I think, I think one of the most underrated parts of our story is that we built a VR game studio and none of us had technical expertise, none of the three co-founders, and we built the whole game and shipped it in three years in a time when, when we started out, VR wasn't on the commercial market. And by the time we shipped, headsets had changed, control devices had changed. Nobody knew how to build for this medium. And it was a wide open space where anyone could do anything. I designed like the first rowboat ever in virtual reality. I coded it. I figured out how to stop people from puking, from being rowing around a enchanted lake, hand interaction mechanics inside a game engine, puzzles involving like physics and a balloon man, metal aviator pilot carrying a teleporting orb across a chasm of these giant bellows men blowing wind. Then we built this live animation pipeline in YCs in game engine. So like. I think we're more tech, much more technical than anyone really knows. Um, and Maybe that's the issue. Maybe just hide it really well. I think, I think the other part of it is we taught ourselves how to do all that. And it was one of the hardest things that I've ever done in my life. As a result, 
I and Scott were both incredibly good at picking up new technologies and learning them insanely fast and becoming competent at prototyping and also understanding who is the best person to actually be doing the lion's share of building this. And so we've just Mm -hmm. gotten better and better at building teams fast that are better and better Mm -hmm. who can execute on this. And so part of my learning and getting crypto pilled, I'd say step one was our co-founder at the VR game studio, who we've been friends with a long time, came to visit us in LA and brought a suitcase. And when he was unpacking, he took a second monitor out of the suitcase and put it down on the table and started trading NFTs and then looked at me like I was crazy uh, that I wasn't doing this, you know, in addition to running a company. And so then we ended up getting in on this NFT deal and made an absurd amount of money on a a meta pigeon, which is probably the dumbest way I've ever made money in my life. And I was like, oh, so it's like online poker meets the metaverse is what NFTs are. And like, that seems really fun. Uh, And so then started, you know, talking about what we were doing at the time. Our product was called Word Loops, what we're doing there. You know, we're in Gather Town, like talking to Gather founders are in our batch. We're talking to them about, oh, what are you thinking about decentralization? Like starting to essentially talk to the smartest crypto founders that we know and ask them questions. And to them, I think what's always interesting to people who are super technical and in the space, and then Scott and I come in, is like, we're asking questions that they never actually thought of before because we're coming at it from a whole new angle. So like, is this possible? Is this possible? Is this possible? And they're just like, oh, that's really interesting. I never thought about that. Here's how I might do it. And so now I'm assembling this massive kind of knowledge of how the smartest people in the space are thinking about these problems and then just trying to productize it. So I'm trying to imagine it from the consumer experience. I think once once we got to a product, so once we got to Bonfire, that was like, oh, I know exactly how we we can build this. Uh, I know exactly the right people to build it. Like, I'm not going to be doing the code, but I, I understand. I think I'm a master at understanding all the things that I don't understand and figuring out like how to slowly do it. Because that's what my experience was in learning how to v- make VR games. Every day I'd open up a Google document and I'd be like, here's what I don't understand today to achieve this simple goal of like, you know, first it was how do I push a button on the keyboard that opens a door in VR? That took me weeks. It's like by yeah. the end of it, it, it was like that took me seconds. But in the beginning, that, that problem was weeks of in that Google document trying to like just understand these foreign concepts. So now now I think I uh, there's no technology that, that I feel like I couldn't figure out how to make a consumer product out of with enough time. Yeah, I think that's one of the most undervalued skills as a founder, just the speed at which you can learn new concepts. And I think you made a very good case in point that you don't need to understand everything. You just need to learn at a rapid pace. pace. And then in addition to this, you need to know who you can add to the team to then fill your blind spots because you can't know everything, right? You like no matter how smart you are, but you can get an understanding of what you actually need and who is the best person to actually get it done. Maybe one in the interest of time, since we don't have that much time left and Max, want to, I want you to ask your, your last questions as well. But one of the remaining questions that I have and one point that I wanted to 
at least mention is the Black Swan event of online poker being banned, mm. right? Because it's a nightmare of every entrepreneur. It's an external event that you don't have any influence over that basically ruins your business. And in your case, even more than that, it was like almost your whole identity, right? Even more than for most startup founders. So now that there's a lot of time, you can probably, like you have some distance. So lead us through the moment, the process of recovering from it and how how you've changed because of it. <laughs> well, I think... Um... I think my time in Austin was really like about recovering from that. I changed my entire setting, way of life, social group, um, everything from writing. I was writing novel drafts. I was writing short fiction. I was doing improv comedy. I was doing therapy. I was like going to the gym. I was hanging out with people with Southern drawls from Texas. Like, it's just like, I was in this new environment and I was trying to figure out what I was good at and what I was well suited to doing. And, um, I think my initial reaction then was to go swing as far as possible in the opposite direction and get, try to figure out what, what would life be like as a humble writer of fiction, you know, uh, and make up for lost time and be at the bottom of the skill pyramid. I mean, I was still, I went to school for screenwriting. I'd been writing during the poker boom. So I was, in an intermediate level of some kind, but like trying to climb that skill curve to the top in a world where the financial rewards were so much lower than in the online poker boom. So that was like a, a normalizing. And then I think it was really for me understanding that the way what I'm best at is telling stories, but the way those stories manifest is through startups and really it took me building another startup and then getting into YC and then sort of understanding where my strengths are through building this company in YC, which is like, to your point about figuring out how to put the right people in place, I think I have a natural strength that has been honed by a lot of training now to tell stories that get other people excited and help them envision a different way of seeing reality. And that's a really good tool to get people to who want to come work on something inspiring. So um, I think I think there's a lesson in there for people who are in crypto, all in in crypto. And you know, crypto to me has a lot of similarities to the online poker boom because it's a gray area industry. And it is unregulated and that's in conflict with governments around the world. And uh, that conflict has yet to play out. And just because it might be super profitable for you to be in the space now, doesn't mean that it'll always be. So at the same time, if you told me online poker was ending in six months, uh, I would probably have played up to the very last minute. So I, I think, um, I think there was a lot of, like, I, I had to do a lot of personal growth that I didn't really, I, I had no idea where it was going to go. And I just look back, I can tell my story now. But like, if I had to tell my story at the time, it's like Aaron Harris in, in YC was like, you know, telling a story of the company, you often don't know the story of your company until the company is done. Yeah, I mean, it's a great, 
great anecdote again to kind of actually discuss what Mike and I have also been discussing with other founders that you kind of have these cycles in life where you go into other extremes to figure out what you're good at, what you like. You uh, started learning programming in different forms through actually testing it, building prototypes, uh, which maybe you wouldn't have done if you wouldn't have been kind of see that kind of, uh, the, 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 let's say, external factors coming into play. And then, of course, learning about new technology, which, which at the end of the day, let's see now work in, in Web3 because we had that intersection in VR, which, of course, was uh, basically the, the building blocks of where we are today. So I love that kind of that swinging of in, in different areas and, and different expertise to, to build what you do today. Um, just because of uh, like, we have a couple of minutes left um, and, and our listeners are always very interested in, in kind of reading or learning more about certain topics. Um, what is something that you can recommend? It can also be a novel since you kind of in that space of that, that you have to share with the audience because people haven't read it or because it fascinates you anything that's on your mind that you want to share in terms of content or anything that you've read recently or in the past? Oh, man. I read an awesome uh, fantasy trilogy that I think is super underrated because I hadn't heard of it. Found it on Reddit, buried in one of those, like, what are the best fantasy series of all time threads where suddenly you're, like, scrolling down at 1 a.m. You see a bunch of people just, like, passionately recommending this one thing. And, like, <laughs> and so it's called the Empire Trilogy. First book's Daughter of the Empire by um, Raymond Feist, who wrote the Magician series, and Jannie Wirtz, who's a famous fa fantasy author. And it's basically actually kind of a great, if you like fantasy and you like startups, I think it's like, it's just a fantastic experience because it's about this like 17-year-old girl at the start of the story who is about to devote her life to becoming a nun when she finds out her father and brother were betrayed and murdered in battle. And her clan is on the verge of obliteration from this enemy. And she has to come back now and become essentially CEO of the clan with no resources, on the verge of going broke, you know, company's going to be done or whatever, and contend with these assassins and magical powers and political forces in this very interesting world. It's like a mix of Asian and Mexican influences with, with a low fantasy element, very psychological. And it uh, you're really in her head the whole time and she kind of uses her wits to solve these impossible problems and acquire resources and power and figure out how does she get revenge on the people who um, murder her sibling and her, her father. So uh, that was really immersive, really enjoyed that one. And uh, yeah, I'll drop, I'll drop that one on the off chance somebody reads it. Awesome. Nice. I just added it to my list. And please remind me, like, when I publish my novel, because it's definitely on my bucket list for my life, that you do the synopsis whenever <laughs> I want to, like, do some PR on it. I'll just call you, and then you can call into whatever show I'm in. I'm just, well, I won't tell you what the book is about, but I have Jay here, a good buddy of mine. He can do it. And uh, I think I'll probably sell more books. So... Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, love that. Um, I'm down. There's a lot of similarities between the one or two liner startup pitch and the one and the log line in a movie. It's like mm. when you're training to be a screenwriter, they teach you to test the one liner because if you can't get somebody excited about the one line summary of your story, it's like just you got some more work to do. Like the concept probably doesn't have 
the strength to support uh, the full vision yet, or at least you're not good enough at pitching it to anyone yet. Yeah, I remember in word loops when we were practicing that for the stories, and I definitely found it more difficult than for startups, but just it's very similar, but you still need to adapt it to the specific like world mm. of people that understand it. But yeah, Jay, this was awesome. It's great. Thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Everyone should check out Heroic Story if you're interested in great stories, game shows, and just being at the forefront of what NFTs and Web3 can do. And as always, it was a pleasure chatting with you. Have a good rest of your day. Do not forget to work out, right? I know that you have all of the gear in your house, which I still find pretty cool. And let's chat again very soon. Thanks, Thanks Jay. guys. Thanks, Mike and Max. And please don't drop out until the uploading is finished. We'll probably take another minute. Okay.